so we're out in Chanhassen right now. Uh, I come out to Chanhassen a lot to go to Paisley Park. But we're at a place that Prince had before Paisley Park, before he'd even really done anything of this magnitude of Purple Rain, before he even claimed the color purple. <laughs> so this property has been known in the fan community as the Purple House, but back in the fall of 81, it was actually brown. It was this boring kind of split-level beige brown house on a cul-de-sac in the suburbs of the Twin Cities. It was the first house that Prince ever owned, which was a huge deal for him at that point. You know, he's in his early 20s. And it was one of his first real home studios where he could just hole up and work on whatever was kind of going through his mind at that time. And the reason that I wanted to come here is because it's always been so odd to me to think about all of these, you know, futuristic sounds on 1999 and Little Red Corvette, all these songs that he made at this place, it sounds like a city. They're so busy. They're so full of all these synthesizers and, and explosions and politics and all these social elements. But he made them at a place that is, you know, kind of on the surface, like, boring. It's quiet. There's not a lot going on around here. But you know, as I'm standing here now, I realize that's probably exactly why he loved it here. You know, thinking about that era of his life and especially the horrible experience he had opening for the Rolling Stones and all this pressure that he was under and all these expectations that he had for himself. Like it was really important for him to be able to come someplace that was safe and quiet and chill where he could just be alone or have friends over and really just kind of be alone with his thoughts and alone with his music. You know, I've heard all these stories from his friends about they would hang out here and watch all these movies. <laughs> he was a huge film buff. They would watch um, The Idolmaker or Blade Runner or uh, Eraserhead, which is even just standing here looking at the lake. <laughs> it just says so much. Like, watching Eraserhead in the suburbs, it makes sense how 1999 could come out of that. But it was a place for him that I think felt really, really safe. And standing here now and looking, you know, there's a, a couple geese flying over the lake, but otherwise it's like pretty silent. I get it. I get why this was significant for him, why he needed this place. Don't Swenson, and this is Prince, the story of 1999, brought to you by The Current in collaboration with the Prince Estate, Paisley Park, and Warner Records. 
In this segment, we're going to take an intimate look at Prince's life in the studio during this prolific winter of 1981 and 1982. In addition to completing the Controversy Tour, Prince was churning his way through dozens of songs on his way to creating 1999. Along the way, we'll continue listening to these incredible unreleased tracks from Prince's vault, which are included on the new super deluxe reissue of the album. Hi, I'm Bobby Z. I started with Prince in the very beginning and became the drummer for The Revolution. Could you describe the Lake Riley house for me? It wasn't purple. It was just brown, and the front door came in. There was like a window to the side of the door. Sometimes he'd peek out if he'd see you coming. But then you'd go down and then take a left, and it was kind of a, a control room smaller than Studio A at Paisley, but adjacent to that was kind of a small live room that he had a drum kit in. And um, that's where Mark Brown actually auditioned in that little mm. live room. And uh, it it really proved to be exactly what he needed, which was uh, a, a good board, good speakers. Don Batts was, was still at the helm, and he was a super technician. He just knew everything. You know, later on, he painted it purple. But it's forever where we hung out and watched so many movies and and spent so much time dreaming. One of the musicians who spent the most time at the Lake Riley House in this period was Lisa Coleman, Prince's keyboard player and close collaborator. Yeah, on Kiowa Trail. Yeah, I lived in that house for a while. It was like kids in a house and mom and dad weren't home. It was like, wow, it's a whole house with a kitchen and bedrooms and a studio downstairs. And I had a bedroom upstairs, and Prince's master suite was downstairs. He trusted me a lot, because during that time, I also took a lot of photographs. We used to play around and do photo sessions, and this was when he first started wearing the trench coat. So, like, it was a little house of creation, you know? And then he'd be like, Lisa, come punch me in, like playing the drums or something. Like, punch me in, I've got to do that outro and so I became his engineer there were a couple times we did like these two-handed keyboard parts you know that would be really cute to think of the two of us standing there alone in the middle of Minneapolis in some wilderness by a lake playing four-handed arp omni parts When I moved out there and we started working, I mean, we worked really closely. I think we just really connected musically. Even the very first day that I met him, you know, there was some tension at first and we were both really shy people and we couldn't really look at each other, didn't have much to say. And and he, you know, we got to his house and he was like, you know, I think I'm going to send her home. And then he heard me playing the piano downstairs. 
And then he came downstairs and picked up a guitar and we played together. And ever since that moment, I think we just, it was a love thing. It was a musical love affair. I just loved playing with him because we loved each other and I could play a note that would put a smile on his face or he could play a riff that would just make me just see God, you know, and I think he knew the level of my commitment and I would be a person for him forever. Everything he was working on, I was there. The Time Records, Vanity Six, everything. I'm going to get all sentimental now. <laughs> I, I'm just curious if you have any insight into, you know, why was that important to him to have that kind of, um, I guess, remote location to work? I I think it was really because he was Prince Concentrate and he had everything he needed already. And all he needed was the space to let it out. He wanted to emerge and you could only do that in some boring place. most hilarious vault tracks on the 1999 reissue is a song that Prince recorded at his Lake Riley home studio. It's one that Lisa remembers vividly. <laughs> I remember it perfectly. And I, I remember he when he played it for me and he was just laughing so hard. I couldn't believe he actually, you actually said that, dude. You said they spit when they talk. you know is basically a diss track about a certain kind of minnesotan and as a lifelong resident of the state i cannot get over it prince even goes so far as to adopt a classic scandinavian accent at the end yeah you know like i would get a job but the world's gonna end soon you got any loots I'm actually going to play that for you again. I mean, listen to this. Prince is saying, yeah, you know, like I would get a job, but the world's going to end soon in this exaggerated Minnesotan accent that the movie Fargo would make famous. Yeah, you know, like uh, I would get a job, but the world's going to end soon. You got any loots? I wanted to know more about the context of some of these vault tracks, so I called up a friend of mine in Los Angeles, Dwayne Tudal. Dwayne is an author who has written extensively about Prince's studio sessions, and he also wrote some of the liner notes for the 1999 reissue. So I want to ask you about some of these vault tracks. Oh, yes. And I was listening to this one today and thinking about it kind of in context of the Rolling Stones thing and maybe a low point for him in this month leading up to... When it, this was recorded, you know, November 81, money don't grow on trees. He's telling someone, basically, don't get your hopes up too much, and maybe you should think about going to college. Well, I'm a 
it's always been something that's important to Prince. Uh, you know, there's a lot of songs he used, Money Don't Matter Tonight or Love or Money, um, and even a verse in Purple Rain that he edited out that had money in it. But it's, it's kind of fun to hear him talking about almost a lesson to somebody, you know. I mean, even a lot of his songs, you know, even um, Ain't Got No Money and, and uh, um, I Want to Be Your Lover. He was talking about money quite a bit. So the idea that he was going to be lecturing somebody about money don't grow on trees is, is kind of a funny... Um, it's it's not very princish. Yeah. But that's sort of what makes it so interesting to me is that sometimes the, um, the songs that are so unprince stand out uh, as, as a novel thing because they are um, coming from a different place in his head. Yeah. You know, almost almost like he's he's trying to sing in a different voice. And I don't know if he knew who that voice was yet. I need my money. He needs money. Like a hog knee slop. What you say, brother? I baby. I need my money. Don't wanna stop. So, okay, this song I can't ever say without blushing, but I'm sure you know what I'm about to say. What song could it be? It's Vagina, Dwayne. What? <laughs> this is outrageous. <laughs> Tell me everything you know about this song. Prince liked to push envelopes. Um, just the word vagina itself is just shocking. And at the time, you know, who would <laughs> have named a song, a band, a person, Vagina. And that's what Prince said. Oh, yeah? Watch this. Tried to name Denise Matthews, you know, who became Vanity, tried to name her vagina. And she was like, uh, no, <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. And so he said, okay, we'll make a song out of this. And the song is so different, you know, and it, it's, you know, he's singing about somebody who's half boy, half girl. I mean, that's revolutionary at the time. You don't, you know, people didn't, well, I guess you did, you know, you did Lola from the Kinks and things like that. But it wasn't very common. And I think that was really trying to blow the doors off of things. And, and I think that's what Prince was in the mindset of. You know, he'd been doing that since Dirty Mind and, and even before that, um, trying to shock people. Naming a song Vagina was pretty shocking. And uh, it's unfortunate it didn't come out because to me, it's, it's actually one of the best rockers on the album. And this is really a good song. Vagina was half boy, half girl. My hair was shorter than mine. She lived in the city That track right after it, Rearrange, is interesting. Um, what can you tell me about that? When I first heard about a song called Rearrange, it's one of those songs that we'd heard existed, but I didn't think it was actually a song. I thought it was just some shuffling of his stuff. And then to hear the song, it's this fun song. Now that the song's been unearthed, it sort of shows exactly where he was on the controversy tour right before he really started recording all the 1999 stuff. This is kind of a precursor for all the stuff he did for 1999. And I think that's what makes it so fun because I don't know whether it was intended for 1999, whether he was searching for a voice for 1999, or whether he was saying, I got to record another Time album soon. But either way, it was something that was not 
planned. He just thought, I'm in the studio. I got to record. I'm going to record. This is what I'm going to do. incredible to think of the balancing act Prince was doing at this time. In that winter of 81 and 82, he was splitting his time between the stage and the studio. On the road, he was perfecting his live show and barreling through 59 dates of the controversy tour. But in his mind, he was churning through possible songs for his next album, The Time, and Vanity Six. When he had a three-week break from tour in January 1982, he raced back to Sunset Sound to hole up with his favorite engineer, Peggy McCreary. Listening to all of the material on the 1999 reissue, I found myself returning to something that Dwayne had said when we spoke. To me, it's impossible to think of 1999 and not think of Peggy McCreary on this because what she brought to it created an atmosphere that allowed him to make what he did, but it was a safe zone. And she was very protective of him, just like most of the people around him were very protective of him. I don't think you would have 1999, the album, if it wasn't for somebody like Peggy McCreary. Peggy and Prince first crossed paths at Sunset Sound as he was putting the finishing touches on controversy. But as she told me, at the time, she had no idea if Prince actually enjoyed working with her. After controversy... You know, most people say, it was great working with you, hope to see you again, goodbye, you know? Right. And there was none of that. I thought, oh, I'll never see this guy again, because I really kind of got in his face and said, you know, I can't understand you. You can't just mumble instructions to me. I've, I've, got, to, I've got to hear you if you want me to work for you. And, um, and I thought, you know, I was way too abrupt with him. I'll never see him again. And then they called me and said, he's coming in. And he requested you, and it was like, no, okay. <laughs> so, and that's when we started working on 1999. Right. And it was just, it was grueling hours. I have never worked so long or so hard for anybody in my life. Well, I'm just so, um, you know, interested in this idea of you just being alone with him in the studio oh. so often. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have any inkling of, you know, why did he prefer to mostly work alone? I think he needed people. But I think that people like him that are introverts and don't communicate well, I mean, you've got to realize, too, that he was 20, what, 23, 24 years old? Yeah. He was pretty young. He wasn't an L.A. guy. He was a Minneapolis guy. And he was, he was a king in Minneapolis. But in L.A., he was just another, you know, rock star in L.A. And I, I just think that he felt comfortable with me. I didn't talk a lot. I didn't. I just worked for him and um, did what he wanted, and he could create and not have to communicate, which I think was hard for him at that stage in his life. Can you tell me the story of how Colleen ended up being one of the titles? I got tired of always scrambling to figure out what we had worked on or try to figure out a line in the in the chorus that would be the title, you know. So he started to leave and I said, wait, 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 wait. What's what's this name of this song? I said, I need it for Warner Brothers and I need it for the studio. 
And he just had that little smile on his face, and he said, what's your middle name? And I said, Colleen. And he said, write that down. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it never went. It was one of those songs that didn't, I think he tried to revisit it, and it just didn't, it didn't happen. You yeah. know, it was one of those songs that just didn't go anywhere. And he did that a lot. Yeah. So I always figured once they opened that vault and he started, you know, getting those tapes out that I'd be on stuff forever. I mean, we cut so much that never came out. Right. And then, then you know, we cut that, um, how come you don't call me anymore? Tell me that story. This is such a good story. Oh, it was so funny. He came in one night and um, he said, what do you drink? And I said, you mean alcohol? And he said, yeah. And I said, Remy Martin. And he said, okay. Ordered a bottle of Remy Martin and a, and a bottle of Aste Spumante. And I said, oh, Prince, you don't, no, you don't want me to drink. And he said, order it. And we had a couple of drinks, and he started playing the piano. And uh, we cut this song, and I kept thinking, I knew I was a little buzzed, and I kept thinking, this is really amazing. Whenever you're ready. I looked for it for years, and finally the kids and I um, were at Amoeba Records, and I went upstairs, and there was Prince's B-sides, and it was on there, a cassette with his B-sides on it. And I took it home, and I <laughs> listened to it, and I went, yes, it was great. So, yeah, and they're they're re-releasing, I think we did two takes, mm -hmm. and they're, they're releasing the other one that we did, too. I mean, it's just so raw, and it's so unlike all the other material that he was doing, just to hear him alone at the piano. I mean, what was that mm -hmm. like for you to just be sitting there watching this? So when he would go out, like most musicians would go out and relax, and you could go out and get something to eat or go to the bathroom or something, you kept your eye on him because it could all of a sudden be full-on session. So there were times that he would just go out and play the piano, and I loved that. So some of the stuff technically for the sounds I'm not real proud of, but, you know, he taught me so much about if the song is there, 
it doesn't really matter, you know, if it technically is perfect. He wasn't real picky. If it was there, it was there. Wow. Do you think it's fair to say there were points where he was writing a song a day? Oh, yeah. Oh, I think more than that. He was so prolific at that time. And um, he just, and that's why he had two other bands, is because he had more material that didn't really fit maybe with him, or he wrote for other people. He had just so much in him that he wanted to get out. One, two, three. started really working with him basically as this chapter was opening where he was headed towards this new album although we didn't know yet it was 1999 and and he was creating so much material in that late 81 early 82 with you and all of a sudden this album emerged (laughs) well and he told somebody that he didn't expect it to be a double album it just kept on happening and during that period we were also he was also writing songs for it was vanity six then and he and and he was writing songs for the time so we were doing those albums i never knew what we were working on i didn't know what was going on um you know the album that we were actually working on until we assembled it and um because morris would come in and that's when we cut international lover And it's really funny because I had kind of remembered it at the time. I remembered I had my back. I was loading a tape machine, and he, you know, he said, "Did you hear that, Peggy?" And I, and I laughed. With him, there was never any, um, you know, as sexual as his songs were, as sexy as his songs were, there was never that banter with us, which I, you know, you're kind of used to as a woman in the studio. It gets pretty raw and, you know, gritty sometimes. And it was never that with him. He was very respectful. So, you know, the fact that he even kind of pointed that out was kind of funny because it was at a part where it said, you know, your seat can be used for a flotation device or something like that. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> Got that. Got it. And then January 11th must be your birthday. Yeah. And they called me and it was my birthday. And I thought, oh, geez, he doesn't, you know, I can't even get my birthday off. And so he comes in and and we start cutting this song. And so at the end of the night, and I thought, okay, well, now <laughs> there's no birthday for me today. So um, anyway, he starts to leave, and I always made him a cassette of the mix. And um, he walks to the door, and he looks over at me, and he smiles, and he tosses the cassette over his shoulder, and he says, happy birthday, and he walked out. And I just stood there with my mouth open. It was like, oh. 
<laughs> I mean, he didn't even wait for a response, a thank you, or anything. It was just that was my happy birthday song. So it's coming out, and uh, Warner Brothers is releasing it. So I can't say I have an unreleased Prince song anymore. <laughs> right. <Bummer. laughs> but oh. uh, then everybody else will get to hear it too. Right. It's called "You're All I Want." Do you think it's fair to say 1999 is the sound of, of you and Prince working together yeah. in the studio? Yeah, that was that was us. And then he was such a different kind of person in the studio that I didn't really understand who he was until he took me out on the road for that tour. As a Christmas present, he gave me um, two days on the on the road of the 1999 tour, and it was New Year's Eve in Dallas, and Houston, and then the next night in Houston. And I was completely blown away at his performance. I was just literally like weak in the knees. I thought, Oh my God, I get it now. I, I never got who he was. You know, the the outfits and the attitude and the. It was always him. He just got to really um, exude that on stage. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when I saw him perform, I had a whole different level of, of you know, <laughs> appreciation for him. Up next on Prince, the story of 1999, we'll talk about the stories behind Prince's biggest hits from the album and what it was like as he was preparing for the massive 1999 tour with The Time and Vanity Six. I would compare it to, you know, like, you know, an NFL quarterback. By the time you've been playing for five years, the game has slowed down and you see exactly what's happening before it happens. By 1999, that's kind of where he was. All that and more coming up next on Prince, the story of 1999. Prince, the story of 1999 is produced by The Current and supported by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. This program was produced in collaboration with The Prince Estate and Warner Records and with their support. This story was hosted and produced by me, Andrea Swenson, produced and edited by Anna Weggle, mixed by Corey Schreppel, with script editing from Jay Gabler and production support from Brett Baldwin, Lynn Elliott, Cecilia Johnson, Jim McGuinn, David Safar, and Derek Stevens. Thanks to Trevor Guy, Michael Howe, Giancarlo Siama, and Dwayne Tudal. 
To learn more about The Current, visit thecurrent.org. If you haven't subscribed yet, search for Prince, The Story of 1999 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, to learn more about Prince, please visit prince.com. <laughs>